Hi, my name's Sam Adams and thank you for listening to my podcast. It starts with you. This podcast is about mindset. It's about personal development and ultimately that we are 100% responsible for pretty much everything in our lives. And nothing happens until we decide, we choose and we make a decision and pull the trigger to get things started. Look, when I listen to that and I think about that, it starts with you. It can seem a bit harsh, especially in hard times when it can be quite daunting and overwhelming to think that we are 100% responsible. But it's a good thing. It empowers us and it puts us in control. And part of the idea of this podcast is to help you with that. In this podcast, I'll interview some great human beings, business owners from all walks of life who will share their stories and their journeys and what It All Starts With You means to them. I think I discovered you probably on LinkedIn initially, um, about a year ago, I think, or so. Um, and then I saw you all do Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, you did his podcast and you had him on your podcast, I believe. Yes. And that was definitely inspiring. So that was the reason really I wanted to get in touch with you because you're inspiring women throughout the world and you talk about confidence and uh, that's something that I'm super keen to um, help other women with and other people with. So that was really my reasoning for inviting you to come on the podcast. Great. If you wouldn't mind perhaps just introducing yourself, who is Heather Monaghan and what's Heather Monaghan all about? Sure. So I uh, have a background in corporate America. I was in corporate America for 20 years. I was a chief revenue officer in media responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars and thousands of employees. And I had been promoted countless times, won a lot of different awards during my tenure there. And during my tenure, actually, I doubled the company's revenue that I had worked for. When I joined the company, we were billing annually $100 million, And when I left, we were in excess of $200 million. So I'd done a really great job. And the CEO that I worked for for 14 years became ill. And he elevated his daughter to replace him. So she fired me immediately. and. In that moment, I took a chance to say, you know, what is it that I really want to do with my life? And through a series of events, I decided not to go back to corporate America, not to go take another sales leadership role at another company, but instead to write and self-publish my first book, Confidence Creator. And that led me down a very different path, an entrepreneurial path, which has led me to where I am today, two years later. Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you ever see yourself going down that path? I guess when you were in corporate America, was it just like, well, this is my path, this is my future, I don't really see myself stepping away and going it alone, so to speak? Yeah, corporate America is very linear and very well lit. So it's very, when you're immersed in it and very successful in it, it's really clear what your next steps are. So for me, I wanted to get on the cover of Fortune magazine being the CEO of, you know, the fastest growing, whatever kind of a company, you know, insert company name there. So to me, I knew my next, I was at CRO, which is number two to the CEO. I knew I wanted to take the CEO position. I didn't think I'd be able to with the company I was in. So I knew that the more revenue I could generate, the more media buzz I could generate around the success that I was having leading the company I was in that that would start to open up doors and opportunities for CEO positions at 
other industries and competitors, et cetera. So that was going to be my next move is that I would eventually leave that company and go be a CEO for another company. I never, ever thought about the idea to go to work by myself. I, that never crossed my mind. Wow. And I mean, obviously you were super successful. Um, so was it really scary going it alone? Did you, cause I've, I've listened to your book and I, I've obviously listened to your podcast. So I know a little bit, but maybe some of the people that are going to listen to your podcast don't know um, a bit about your story. Cause I think you were, you were obviously feeling quite scared about taking that leap on your own. Yeah. When you've only known one way, it's very difficult to understand a new way. So for me, my entire career was in corporate America. I started out from college. I went to the Gala Winery, and then I went to a company called Wilkes Broadcasting, and then I went from there to the company that I ended up getting fired from. So I had had a very clear path ahead of me, and things progressed you know, rather well in that space. So I... I never thought about the idea, you know, I had multiple assistants and I had teams of people and IT support and I had social media support and I had creative director support. You know, there are, when you work for a large company, especially when you're at the chief revenue officer level, everything is a finger touch away on a phone. Mm -hmm. You know, I press a button and someone would come handle whatever the issue was that I was having whether it be booking my flights or, you know, my phone's frozen and I don't know how to get into it. There's someone to fix that on a team. Yeah. And when you leave that environment and go to work for yourself, you suddenly become the IT director, the social media director, the content yeah. creator, the, you know, vision and strategy and the CEO, as well as the chief revenue officer, as well as the salesperson, you know, you become everything. Yeah. And it's very overwhelming. It's a seismic difference from being in corporate America. And it's scary because you're alone. However, one of the refreshing things is when where I was, and this isn't the situation for everyone, but where I was in corporate America, I was constantly trying to innovate, constantly coming up with new iterations of the business, constantly coming up with new product additions. I was always wanting to change and evolve the company and grow the company. And that was not the environment, the culture that I was in. I was really the only person like that there. So I was always getting kicked back. I was always being told no. And over you know, a period of time, you get beat down by negativity and being shut down all the time. So it was really stifling my creativity, stifling my innovation. And now that I'm on my own, I'm, this morning I just finished my seventh version of my book proposal for my second book, which I wrote last year. But you know, I, I'm doing things, I, I just became a contributing author in another book and I just got the cover art sent to me today. I'm always working on new projects, new things. I had a meeting with YPO this morning about bringing me in for a number of different events that they're doing across the country. I'm constantly working on a variety of different initiatives, ideas, and some of them pan out great and some don't, but at least I don't have someone telling me, don't try anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, the amazing things about working for yourself um, is the freedom. You don't have to ask anybody, can I take a break? Can I go take a holiday or whatever? But it's that juggling of being, like you say, the boss of many different areas, marketing, sales, you know, publishing, innovation, everything. You've, you've literally got to be the master of many, many areas. And I think um, that's where a lot of people then become overwhelmed uh, in business and uh, struggle, certainly with some of the people that I've dealt with. I, I coach sort of small business owners and they obviously want to grow and get results. 
but there a lot of them that come to me initially are completely overwhelmed because they're trying to to be the boss of many different departments um does that make sense and that's yeah, kind absolutely. of like what what you're saying so how how have you dealt with that how have you sort of gone about managing all of that it's not easy. I'm just going to be, you know, Frank, it's not easy at all. I work seven days a week. I work around the clock. However, at a very young age, I was an equity partner in a group of radio stations in Michigan. And in some bizarre ways, even though I was a part of a company, we weren't a well-funded company back then. Yeah. I had to run multiple departments and I had to figure out how to do things. So I have this baseline experience at age 24. I'm 45 now. <laughs> and I was able to take that $25 million property and turn it into a $55 million property in under three years. Wow. So I, I rely on that experience and that past track record of success. Again, that wasn't easy either, what I dealt with back then. That was very challenging. I worked nonstop, but I know that it can be done. And so that validation and that proof that I have from other experiences in my life empowers me now to know, yeah, it's not fun and it's not... You know, I was working on a partnership with Perry Ellis for a year and I had so much effort and time, you know, locked into that partnership and it fell apart in the end. And that, those are the frustrating things that happen as an entrepreneur. But for every one that falls apart, there's three that come together and work out beautifully. And you just don't know going in, you know, where is the time best spent? You trust your gut and you just move forward and keep taking action. Yeah, I think, you know, you're saying trust your gut. I think that's something that I've sort of learned over the years. I think in the early years I didn't, um, and I'm sort of a minnow compared to you and many others, but it's my world. And in my world, sort of back in the day, I didn't trust my gut and I'm much more inclined to do that now um, because generally I think your gut is right. Oh yeah, it always is. <laughs> I'm interested to know, I've got a few questions that, from people off of my social media, which I'm going to ask you if that's okay. Um, right. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously you're working on you're working alone, so to speak, and I'm a coach and I think that everybody could uh, find some value from having a coach. Uh, what, where do you stand on that? Do you have a coach? I'm assuming you've got mentors in your life. You know, I wrote an article on LinkedIn about this recently. Coaching, coaching, you know, people ask me if I'll coach them. I don't do personal coaching. I don't, for me, that's not a scalable business model versus the business that I have. So it just doesn't make sense because I'd have to charge people too much money, which I don't think is fair. However, you can have, anyone can be your coach just by following them on social media and, you know, consuming their content. So I followed Gary Vee forever before I actually met with him in real life. So I knew his way of thinking. I, you know, I knew his business approach and model. He shares so much content. You don't have to meet with him to have him mentor you. So that's one of the things that I realized. But then as I've, you know, created products working for myself, I realized, you know, writing a book wasn't hard, but I'm not an expert at it. So that's when I tapped an editor and I hired an editor to work with me for six months and paid him to, you know, basically go through with a fine tooth comb all of my work and improve it. So that to me is a coach, right? Yeah. So it, it really depends, or maybe it's a producer that you hire for your podcast 
that's a coach. That's someone who's an expert in that space and field, you know, and I've hired different social media people that manage my social media for me because I can't cover off on all of it. Those are really small coaches that you're hiring along the way in different business models to support you and advance you. And I definitely believe in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's sort of finding out or thinking about the things that you're good at, the skills that you have and the resources that perhaps you need to pull in in order to get to achieve whatever it is that you need to achieve. I mean, for me, podcasting is brand new. I'm learning as I go. I've got my niece who's 30. She knows how to edit and stuff like that. And it's just pulling in the skills and resources from where, you know, from wherever you can, if you don't have that ability yourself. Absolutely. Cool. Right. I want to, the other thing I want to talk to you before I go on to the questions from some of the social media stuff um, was around sports. Cause you, you say you're a big sports fan. Uh, I saw you at the Super Bowl the other day. Uh, I'm a massive sports fan. Sports has been really important and helped me kind of overcome some adversity through life. Where's sport play a part in your life? I know you've worked in sports. Um, you know, how did you get involved in sports? How does it now, does it still continue to play a role in your life? Yeah, so for me, I grew up with a very, very smart sister, you know, genius level, and she had a perfect score in the SATs and straight A's and, you know, valedictorian and law <laughs> degree. And, and so growing up like that, I was always compared to her. So I somewhat took on this idea that I wasn't smart because she was so smart. So I really gravitated to the things that came naturally, naturally to me, sports, athletics, leadership, you know, being a captain of a team, whatever, social um, engagement. So that became my thing because the academic world was her thing. And, you know, at a very young age, I allowed myself to be put in that lane. And for me, that was a good lane at the time because it taught me camaraderie, how to collaborate with people, how to get the best out of others on teams, which ended up propelling me in my corporate America career because I knew how to motivate and drive others and get the best out of them and support them and create positive atmosphere. So everything I learned in softball and basketball, you know, on the court when I was a kid really advanced me in corporate America, when I worked in sales for the Gala Winery, it taught me the art of competition and the importance of taking practices and, you know, being involved, asking for help, all these different things that I learned when I was young really have propelled me to success throughout my career. And I've always worked out, you know, that's definitely been a mainstay in my sanity and, and, <laughs> in, and part of, you know, just feeling good and investing in me. And, and still today, I just left the gym right now. I was there for two hours this morning, you know, so for me, a good day is a day that I get to go to the gym and then I get to go to work. And, and that's really important to me to get, you know, my energy up and, and thinking clearly my best ideas come to me when I'm working out. I yeah. just wish somehow I could have um, my phone in the spin studio with me when I start getting my great ideas to write them all down because I try to hang on to them for 45 minutes and then yeah. remember them when I come out. But, you know, sports has been such an important thing. And, and along this entrepreneurial path that I've taken, I wrote my book, Confidence Creator, and professional athletes have read the book and, and reached out to me. And, and I've had a couple of meetings with them, you know, and found, which I didn't know previously, that, you know, professional athletes struggle with, with confidence more than anyone and the amount of pressure and focus that they have on 
each game and each moment and each free throw can be debilitating. And so I've really learned and I'm able to relate to them because of, you know, my involvement in sports and, and, um, and yeah, I'm just, a, I'm a big sports fan and I'm a mother of a 12 year old. So he plays football and he plays basketball <laughs> and he plays baseball and yeah, we enjoy, we, we like to spend time going to games together. And yeah, most recently we were at the Super Bowl, and I was so proud uh, to be there cheering on San Francisco 49ers, even though Absolutely. they lost. But, um, yeah. you know, it was definitely a, what a milestone for women having the first female coach in, in the NFL and, and one of my podcast guests. Yeah, I've listened to that. It's probably my, my, the, the episode I love the most, probably Katie's episode. Absolutely groundbreaking what she's done. And yeah. Amazing. She's such a, a great, you know, real amazing person. And I was lucky enough to meet her. I was at Radio Row at the Super Bowl last week and doing oh, yeah, a bunch cool. of yeah. a bunch of interviews. And and I thought I saw Katie and I yelled. I was in the convention center and I just yelled, Katie. And she, she came towards me and I'm so excited. And it ended up, it was her twin sister and I didn't know. <laughs> and she, just like her sister was so cool. She's like, Hey, I don't know you. I'm not Katie, but I am her twin. Yeah. And I said, Oh my gosh, I want to tell you who I am. And then ask you to give her a message. I know her game is tomorrow, but please just let her know I'm pulling for her. And she was so yeah. sweet. And, and she did. And that's super cool because you interviewed her quite a while ago, I think, way before sort of, it, you know, you know, she got to the Super In Bowl. September. I interviewed her in September. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just super cool for me seeing that. And I'm assuming you're probably a Patriots fan, are you? I am. Yeah, I'm from Boston originally. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. <laughs> My niece is, a, is it Eagles? Yeah. Yeah, she's an Eagles fan, so you probably don't like them. <laughs> I think they'll beat you in the Super Bowl today. <laughs> I don't know when that was. Right. Well, that, that's really good. Anyway, um, I'm going to move on to the questions just from some of my um, social media uh, members in my little group and stuff. because They were really, really excited when they uh, heard that I managed to, to get you on the podcast. So um, I'm going to start with a question from a, a lady called Parul. And she, she asks, how do you help those people who consider themselves worthless and therefore have low confidence? The issue here is not lack of skills, but an innate deep belief that they are not good enough. Are there any practical tools that you would recommend? That's a long Yeah. Question. Well, you know, everybody has different challenges for sure, but my TED Talk really dives into this and I would recommend her to check it out. It's 10 minutes. You can replay it as many times as you want, but mm -hmm. I share the strategy that I used when I was really down. Now, there was an exterior factor that affected me that allowed me to get to that really negative self-doubting place. And I call that, you know, you need to fire your villains. I don't know what this person's situation is. I don't know if she's married to someone who talks down to her every day and tells her she's horrible, right? That's for her to explore. And my book has 41 different ways to create confidence. So there's a lot of, and my weekly podcast talks about all these different things and topics, but so, you know, just with that one tool of the Ted talk to share with her, I lay out a five-step plan that is really what has made millions of brands around the world successful. And that's the media strategy that works when you run campaigns. What I decided to do was since I had been in media for two decades and, and knew it inside and out, I know what makes a successful campaign. So I share that with the audience at the Ted talk, 
which is um, number one, identify the correct platform to run your ad campaign on. In this instance, it would be your mind because you spend more time with yourself than you do anyone else. Um, number two, you want to choose powerful messaging and you want to run that messaging with frequency, ideally seven times per day. This is, you know, this is vetted. This is, this, I didn't make this up. I learned this in the media business, but this is the first time anyone's taking the methodology of running successful ad campaigns and applying it to yourself. So then you want to choose an image, a powerful image. When you pair an audio campaign with a visual campaign, it's much exponentially more successful. Mm -hmm. So I picked the life-size cutout I have of myself in my living room and I would run my campaign while looking at that and I would create that vision so and do it so often that I could see this really powerful image of me all the time in my mind, which allowed me to start seeing that it's possible again. Yeah. And if you don't have a powerful image of yourself, you can take an image of anyone, you know, just to remind you that there is strength there and, and strength for you and strength for your future. Uh, then you want to pair that with a music bed or a jingle because that music elicits memory and emotion. And I chose Kendrick Lamar's song, I Love Myself. Uh, and then you need a call to action to convert the opportunity. So for me, I was fear-based and I was afraid of this woman that was treating me badly at work. And so I decided to see fear as a green light that meant go. And so when anytime I would feel afraid while running my ad campaign, that would be the moment I would take action and go. And so that's how I ended up being able to start creating confidence with me and stand up to her, a bully at work. And the next time she ignored me, waved my hand and say, hi, you missed me. I'm here. And start stepping into that fear, even though it felt terrible. It started me down a very different path where I started building true confidence within myself and ended up firing the villain that was in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've watched the TED talk and I can highly recommend it. Uh, I've watched it a couple of times for myself. So yeah, some great, some great um, stuff there that really can, I think, can help a lot of people. Um, another question from Kim and she's, she says, do you ever have feelings of guilt mainly around work commitments, honouring them over time with family and how do you deal with it? I mean, obviously I know you've got a young son and you, you've said obviously that you work seven days a week, so you're working really hard. Um, do I don't feel guilty about that. You know, when I first got divorced, which was 11 years ago, I used to feel guilty all the time. And the reason why is back then I was really lacking self-worth and I wasn't realizing that to hire a babysitter to go to the gym was a win for me and a win for my kid because I'd come home feeling better, being more energetic and happy versus being resentful and angry and not feeling so good about myself. So when I reflect back on that time in my life, I can see that I used to feel guilty and I used to beat myself up about, you know, what I wanted to go to the gym or I wanted to see my friends, but how could I do that when I had a one-year-old and I'm being a bad parent? That, how did that work out for me? Not so well, I can tell no. you. And what I've learned as a result of that is instead now, and it's much easier when you have a 12 year old versus a one year old, I'll just put yeah, sure. it out there. It is <laughs> right. Um, Cause a 12 year old you can rationalize with and I can communicate with him. And so when I go on work trips, he and I text each other or we could FaceTime or we can talk on the phone and he has the wherewithal to understand what's happening. And what I'm able to do now is teach him and show him and involve him in the process of okay, we're building a business. We are in the very early stages, only two years in. A lot of companies fold up at this phase because they're not able to be profitable. The things that I'm doing are taking these action steps and traveling here for this interview, you know, traveling here for this meeting, this partnership, and here's why I'm doing it. And I really involve him in the evolution of the business, so much so that 
he likes to have a say in things or he'll say to me, mom, the other day he was staying at his father's house and he called me and he said, where are you? I said, oh, I'm on the highway. I'm going to speak at University of Miami Law School. He said, law school, why? How much are they paying? And he started asking all these questions like wondering, is this a really good investment of your time, mom? And wanting to give feedback on it. And it was so cute because I liked how he was thinking, right? Like you always want to think about that. Wait a minute. Is this a good investment of my time? Is, is this how I should be spending my time right now? What's the ROI on this opportunity? And, you know, he's really, he thinks about life now in a business perspective, which I, I think is really helpful. And I wonder where he got that from. <laughs> yes, it's very clear. He is my son. <laughs> Oh, cool. Okay, that's really good. Thank you. Um, there's a question come from somebody called Simi, and I don't know if it's a man or a woman, so sorry, Simi. Um, she, I say she, did you create Boss in Heels, the strap line? Did you, did it, did you, did you create it or did you become known from it, um, from your followers? So four years ago, when I was still in corporate America, this is really how everything started. I, I, I remember thinking I make money for shareholders, but I don't do a lot of purpose-driven positive work. I, I just, I make money for shareholders. I make rich people richer. Right. And it was sort of, this all began when I first had my son, because that was the biggest life change I ever had. It made me start thinking about love and, you know, commitment and just, it, it was the most powerful change I've ever, ever had was giving birth to my child because I love that kid more than anything in the world. So he started me down a different path about meaning, which took years for me to figure out. But eventually I figured out I wanted to get into charity work. I got into charity work. I was doing charity work all the time, sat on the board of City Year Charity um, in Miami for seven years and really worked hard outside of my regular job. And so one day I just said, wait a minute, this is four years ago. I'm killing myself at work to make rich people richer. I kill myself at night trying to help poor people and, and raise funds and, and drive this charity and grow this charity, which I love doing, but I don't get paid for it. I, you know, I don't get anything for it. And then I go home and go to bed and do the whole thing again. So how can I instead incorporate positivity, purpose, and meaning into my day-to-day? -day? And that's when I had the idea to share my story of growing up poor, you know, reaching very high levels of success, income, et cetera, and, and essentially reaching the C-suite and how I did it so other people could learn from me and learn that they can do it too. So I launched four years ago when I was still in corporate America, I launched my website, heathermonahan.com. I took all of my social handles public yeah. and I essentially started holding the pen while telling the story of my life instead of letting other people tell my story for me, which yeah. I recommend for everyone. And that gave me a lot of purpose and meaning. And it was hard because the then CFO, the daughter of the CEO, came at me hard with the GC, the general counsel for the company I work with. And they threatened me and said, you need to shut this down. This is confusing, upsetting. We don't like it. And I said, I'm doing this as something positive that's giving back. I'm not charging people anything. I do this outside of work. I, you know, I hired people to create my website. I didn't do it myself. I just gave them the content. This doesn't take away at all from my job. In fact, as a chief revenue officer in sales and marketing, I'm teaching people how they should be actually investing in their own personal brand to grow you know, their messaging and their reach. This is brilliant, if you ask me, because I believed it was and it is and so they continually came at me and so for over a year this dog fight went on back and forth and I wouldn't back down and during that time 
I had dinner with some of my girlfriends and one is a CMO and another one is a graphic design artist. And we were all talking about my brand initiative and what the kickback I was getting. And one of the girls who's a graphic designer at the table said, you know what, you need a, a real strong hashtag. Why don't you start using the hashtag boss in heels? Yeah, cool. And I loved it. And she said, cause that's what you are. You're not backing down, but you're doing it in your own feminine way. Yeah. And I really liked that. And, and it also meant to me and what it means to me today is that people should be a boss however they want in flip flops with purple hair in, you know, no makeup coming from the gym or glammed up any way that you want to just be you. And that's what Boston Heels really ended up representing to me. And I, it's just always stuck with me. And now I've added confidence creator to it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, that's good. That's good. Okay. Um, I totally agree with you that you, you've just got to be you. And my sort of strap line is obviously the name of the podcast. It starts with you because I, you know, I believe you empower yourself if you, if you have that mindset that, everything starts with you from your attitude and, and going forward with that. So that's kind of mine. And I hope to grow that into a big brand at some point and, and, you know, help other people understand that, you know, if we want to empower ourselves and control situations, then really we, we it does start with us and uh, take responsibility. And that's kind of what's evolving for me and, and my strap line really. So next question from Lizzie Vince is, uh, how do you deal with challenges? Um, are you naturally a resilient person or did you, did you have to develop resilience? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd show me someone who's naturally resilient. I don't know that that exists. <laughs> right. But what I do know is the more adversity you face, the more prepared you are to successfully take on adversity. Yeah. And I like this. Gary V taught me a really good lesson when I went on his show we were talking about the day that I got fired mm -hmm. and he said, I'm so different than you, Heather. I would have approached it differently. I, and I asked, how would you have approached it? He said, going in there into that meeting, knowing that I could be getting fired, I would have thought to myself, Oh, this sucks. However, it's a micro challenge in this moment. And I'm a worthy, talented, smart person this is gonna to lead to a bigger opportunity somewhere else. I didn't think of it that way. But now any adversity that I'm approaching, I think micro, macro, okay, this is a micro headache right now. How can I you know, shorten the, the window of time where it's difficult, whether it be I need to find you know, a new partner or I need to figure out a different solution or I need to pivot and do something you know, completely different. Mm -hmm. And then I have that open-mindedness that this pivot, this, a solution that I'm finding and coming up with during this micro challenge is going to lead me to a much bigger opportunity. And I just look back on that day that I got fired and I remember how depressed I was and how scared I was and, and crying, you know, inconsolably. And now I've learned that micro challenge, because that's what it was. I was going to figure a way out. I just didn't know what it was yet has led me to a macro opportunity that I never foresaw. And so now I approach every challenge that way. Okay, micro challenge at the table right now. How am I going to figure it out? And then cut to macro opportunity. I don't know where it's going yet, but it's going to be something amazing. It's a great adventure. I mean, you know, Gary's, Gary's always talking, isn't he? You know, I follow a lot of Gary B. I followed him for a very long time. And, uh, you know, he, he says he, he gets up every day and he just thinks he imagines his 11 nearest and dearest people that something's happened to them. As long as they're all right, then everything else really pales into insignificance. Um, my sister always 
you know, if I get myself caught up in things, challenges and adverse, uh, you know, stuff that happens, she's like, has anybody died? That's her strap line. It's like, did anybody die? And I'm like, well, no. And she's like, okay, well, it's good then. Let's, you can sort this. Um, so it's kind of looking at it from a different viewpoint, uh, coming at it from a different angle, really. I think we can get caught up in um, when we're faced with challenges and stuff like that. And we, we create, we make, in England here, we say mountains out of molehills. I don't know if that's an American expression, but yeah, that's what we do. And I think we're all very good at that because our imaginations can run riot with us as well. Something that's like this can suddenly become this massive mountain that we, we've got to try and overcome. Um, on the back of that question from Lizzie, she was also asking about um, confidence um, and was it was something you were born with or have you developed it? And obviously you've kind of touched on that a little bit of, about how you've developed your, your confidence. Is there you know, anything more you want to kind of add to that, really? Yeah, I mean, confidence is a skill that can be learned by anyone. And it's like a muscle. You need to work it or you're going to lose it. And confidence isn't static. So you can be the most confident person in the world. And I think I'm pretty confident. But there's going to be different areas of your life where you might get setback. My son broke his leg and I start questioning, you know, oh, wow, this is scary. This is new. How do we work through that? You're, when you're faced with new situations and scenarios, you're not always going to walk in there saying, oh, I'm nailing this, this thing. But <laughs> yeah. what you can do is try to, you know, lean on past experiences and see how it has worked out, how you have been able to evolve from it. But um, confidence is definitely something that, you know, is in any moment you're creating it or you're chipping away at it. And I try to approach life that way. If I'm feeling nervous about something, I know I need to step into it and do it because if I do that, it's going to make my confidence skyrocket. You know, if there's a different difficult conversation that I need to have and I'm avoiding it, that's chipping away at my confidence. So when you start yeah. breaking things down to that very simple take, it makes life much easier because you have the right answer right in front of you. Create the confidence. Don't chip away at it. Yeah. I, I think it's in your book, you talk about the, you talk about the story about the dog and rather than running away from the dog, running towards the dog, which I really love. Um, Cause I'm always talking about stepping into your fear at which, you know, it's really, really difficult for to, to do. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. Um, but certainly things that I've like, like even, you know, talking to you today, you know, I was nervous about doing it. I'm not going to lie, but I'm super excited at the same time. And it's just a case of like, well, why can't I ask Heather to be on my podcast? Why can't I interview her? And it's kind of stepping into that. And, and you know, I know I'm going to come off the back of this and I'm like, I'm going to feel pumped. I'm not going to lie. And it's going to give me confidence to go on and uh, ask other people that are, you know, way in different levels to me. You know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, there's a fine line between fear and excitement. And mm. the more that you tell yourself it is excitement, the more it becomes excitement instead of fear in a situation like that where you're feeling a little bit off. You know, just keep saying, I'm excited, I'm excited. And suddenly you'll start, you know, because there's, there's such close emotions anyways yeah. that when you just kind of push yourself over the line, it definitely becomes a much more clear and much more exciting. Yeah, I'm going to be using the word excited more than fear from now on for sure. <laughs> Okay, I, I want to sort of, don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about bullying um, in general, because I think a few people have sort of asked about bullying, and it's a big, big issue, not only in, in a work environment, but in a school environment. You know, I have a little niece that goes to school, and every day there's a story about bullying, and she's sort of nearly 15, and I'm sure maybe your son, you know, may have some of that in his school environment for sure. Um, what, what sort of could you share maybe to, 
in general to sort of help people deal with bullying, how to face it, how to deal with some of the scars that maybe are left from bullying? Because, you know, they, they can be life lasting. Yeah, well, I mean, first you need to look at the environment, you know, in which you live. Like, what are the people like that you're surrounding yourself with? You know, I always go back to that, firing the villains from your life to begin with. Because if you have parents that treat you badly and talk down to you and bully you at home, you're going to find yourself in environments at school where you're being bullied too, right? So the first thing is, you know, do an inventory of the people you spend your time with, how they treat you, how you want to be treated, and how can you communicate that, set boundaries, and or fire those villains from your life. If you have a best friend that treats you terribly, it's going to end up resulting in you being expecting to be treated poorly and then ultimately getting bullied in other areas of your life. So that's the first thing. Do that inventory, make those assessments and make decisions to fire the villains and or create boundaries and ask for what you want and what you deserve because everyone deserves to be treated fairly. I'll tell you that my son was bullied in elementary school and it was an awful situation. However, it was a great learning opportunity and that's how I decided to approach it with him. So the first thing that I did was we, each morning when he would wake up, we would practice gratitude. And I would say, good morning, what, give me three things you're grateful for today. And he could say, I'm grateful I woke up alive. I woke up, you know, I'm grateful that today I have basketball practice and I'm super excited because the team's playing really well. And I'm grateful that today's Friday and weekend's almost here. It could be that simple, right? But it would get him leaving the house in the morning excited instead of dreading, you know, thinking about what he didn't want to happen. He didn't want that little boy to push him down on the playground or whatever it was going to be. So we lead the day with positivity, gratitude, and put it out into the universe that we're going to have a good day. We would get into the car and he has a theme song. Um, it's called Glorious, which is like this really beautiful, upbeat song. And so I would always play his fire me up theme song music on the way to school to get his like energy going and feeling good. We'd put out to the universe, today is going to be a great day. I'm so excited that we have no idea the possibility of what could happen amazing today. And I'd always use myself as an example. I know Dylan's going to school and something really cool is going to happen. And mommy's really hoping a big deal is going to come through today. We never know each more, you know. So I really try to get him in, the, in a positive mindset because that's what we can control. We can't, you know, instead we could drive to school talking about how awful it is as bullies bullying him, but that's not going to help us or help my son. So we try to really put positivity out there, get in a good mood, fire ourselves up, practice gratitude. And then I empower him with solutions at night when we're together and we can role play. So I would say to him, okay, if the boy, cause this boy had put his hands on my son and, and pushed my son down a couple of times. I said, if this boy comes up to you, what are, what are your options? And so we talked through options. He'd say, I could go get a teacher. I could yell at him. I could push him back. I could hit him. Like we'd go through the whole gamut of all the things that you could do, you yeah. know? And then I'd ask him, all right, let's, think it through it because it's better to be prepared than be surprised mm -hmm. because he had been surprised and caught off guard, which he did nothing and just laid there crying. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to do that again. So what are some of the things that out of all the options you gave, what do you feel most comfortable with? You know, and then we'd role play, like how would it work out? And so the more empowered he felt, the more he wasn't scared going into a situation. He knew he wasn't going to die. If the kid hit him, he hit him. Yeah. My son had already experienced that. That had happened once. He didn't like it, but he knew now he could stand up for himself. And not only did I agree to this, my ex-husband did as well, that if you are hit by someone, you can hit back and to protect and defend yourself. 
And my son felt very happy about that because he didn't know that that is something that we would, you know, support. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to support that, which is fine, but I'm saying what worked for me and my son. My son going into that environment, he didn't feel so scared anymore. He went in holding his head high, being ready for what might happen instead of being afraid of the unknown and not knowing what was going to happen. So, you know, we led with positivity, led with gratitude. We had role played different situations. And when the boy came up, stepped up to my son, my son stepped right up to him and said, I'd back down if I was you. And that little boy ended up going on to somebody else and bullying someone else. And that all happened with only a couple of weeks of us, you know, going through this role play. He never went and started trouble with the little boy. But when that little boy came to him, he was ready and it shifted the dynamic. It also taught my son something you know, getting bullied is not okay. Bullying others is not okay either. We want to treat people the way we want to be treated. And the more you respect and treat yourself well, the more other people are going to treat you well too. Because that bully stopped bullying him. He started bullying someone else. And when you think about that, people will treat you the way you allow them to treat you. And my, yeah. son, my son stopped allowing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Uh, um, it's I guess I wanted to kind of touch on sort of what, how it left you after coming, stepping away from corporate America and that bullying, um, has it sort of left scars? Is it sort of something that you've had to address or how, how has that impacted you, you know, since that time? Um, I, I don't think there's scars. I think that it's, I wear it like a badge of honor, right? <laughs> I, I have no problem talking about it. It's something that happened. In hindsight, I would have handled, I would have stood up that lady from day one. In hindsight, I was so afraid to lose my paycheck back then. I wasn't seeing the micro challenge and the macro opportunity. All I was seeing was the massive macro challenge. I, I didn't ever step back from it. And for whatever reason, you know, that's, that's how, that's how I handle it at the time. I'm equipped now to handle things much differently and I'm very self-aware. So I constantly do an assessment how are these people treating me? How is that? How am I responding to it? What am I allowing for? What am I not allowing for? Because I know that I went down that road before and I'm not going back down it now. No, absolutely. That's great. Couple of, couple of really quick last things. So what's next for you? What, what's, what are you coming up? I think you touched on a book and obviously you're still doing your podcast, which I love. Yeah. So I just, um, as soon as we hang up, I'm sending out my seventh iteration of my book proposal. My first book I wrote in self-publish. This one I wrote and now I'm trying to go the traditional publishing route to see if this is a better route for me. I don't know. I may end up saying, oh my gosh, why did I do that? But I've been back and forth with an agent for months uh, with a book proposal, changing the book proposal. This is the seventh version of it. A lot of time and effort in on this. So today, I, as soon as we hang up, I will send that out and hopefully within a week I'll hear back if the proposal has been accepted or not. So that's a, a huge thing that I've got going on. Yes, the podcast is always ongoing each week, every Tuesday, drop a new episode. I'm always working on new guests and new themes. And then um, I'm, I've been working on a clothing line that has been a massive undertaking. It's really been going for over a year. Uh, so that I'm going to continue to work on that. And then I just um, joined with some other authors and, and um, we're putting out another book where I'm a contributing author. I'm not the sole author on that, but that will be coming out this year as well. Fantastic. So lots going on. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. That's how, how it has to be. I mean, the podcast, who, who, who would you say? I, you probably haven't got, can't say who your favorite is, but I, I sort of want to ask who, who have you really enjoyed having on your podcast? 
recently, you know, it changes, you know, different. Um, there's so many amazing guests on the show. I love Jesse Itzler. He's so fun, high energy. Yeah. Uh, but recently I interviewed Ed Milet just a couple weeks ago and I absolutely adore him. He is just such a cool guy. What a good person. And I really liked having him on the show. But one of my earlier guests that I love is Flip Flippin and he's not very well known, but he uh -huh. has an amazing book. Um, that's all about the story that you tell yourself. And that episode was really powerful for me. So um, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of them that I, that yeah. I really like. I need to go and check that one because I, I don't think I've listened to that one. I listened to Ed and I love Ed Milet and he's coming to London uh, in March for an Expert Empires event. So I'm going, to, I'm going to that event. So I'm going to get to see him speak live, which I'm really excited about. Oh, great. He's amazing. Yeah, no, he's, I follow him on social media. He's such an amazing guy, such an amazing guy. Cool. Well, I think that is kind of all of our questions from the listeners, from me. I've obviously taken up about 45 minutes of your time, which is, I know, super precious. And I really want to thank you again for agreeing to do this podcast. Um, it absolutely means the world to me to have you on here. And um, yeah, thank you once again, Heather, for doing that. If people want to find out more about you or where, where can they find you on social media and things Sure. So my website is heathermonahan.com. I'm on all social media platforms at Heather Monahan. And my book is called Confidence Creator. It's on Amazon and Audible. And my show is called Creating Confidence with Heather Monahan. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks once again, Heather, for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast. And I look forward to my pleasure. the second book coming out and some, uh, some uh, listening to the, the forthcoming podcast as well. Thank you. Thanks so much. Really nice to meet you. Virtually. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to It Starts With You. My name is Sam Adams. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about me, then you can visit my website, sam-adams.com, where you can find information about my coaching and my speaking. If you're interested in finding out more about the podcast and future guests, then please visit our Facebook page, It Starts With You, and also our Instagram page, It Starts With You podcast. Thanks very much and have a great day.